The rest of us can turn to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. Everyone's found Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, okay? Okay, why don't we stand and read this together? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is, the one, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Please be seated. Today we're going to continue on from the theme of last week. Uh, last week, um, on Sunday, we looked about what it meant to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow you. Follow him, I should say. We want to continue with the theme of the cross over the next couple of weeks. Now for Jesus, the cross, in his context, when he pronounced that in Luke 9, he meant literal cross. He was, gonna, he was going to go on a physical cross to suffer. For us, the application was not necessarily a physical cross, although it could involve that at one point in our lives, but more metaphorical. It was more metaphorical, and it was a reference to dying to self to live for him, to be a follower of Jesus. Now today we're going to continue in the theme of the cross, so I would like to define for you what we mean by the cross this morning so we're not confused. What may, it's not the piece of wood or the metal around one person's neck in your house or in the church building. We're not referring to the cross this morning in terms of the literal, physical thing. But the cross means this, the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf with all of its benefits and consequences. So the cross this morning is defined as the, cross, uh, the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf and what that accomplished for us and in us. Now there's two points I want to make on this cross this morning. The first one is this. The cross is the basis of God's total provision for every believer. Everything that you possess in the spiritual realm for blessing in this life and the next is only because of the cross of Christ. Take away the cross of Christ, there are no blessings that can be imparted to us. The reason why we can live victoriously is because of the cross of Christ. The reason why we can receive spiritual protection because of the cross of Christ. The reason why we inherit eternal life because of the cross of Christ, and so on. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all things, how will he not also with him give us freely all things? All things are freely given because he laid down his life. And the second point is it's the basis for Jesus' total defeat of the devil. His total defeat. Colossians 2, 14 through 15. 
having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The rulers and power authorities here are not the, the prime minister and the presidents of the countries. It's the spiritual realm. It's the devil and his demons. And it says here he triumphed over them by the cross. It's the total basis for the defeat of Satan, what Jesus did at Calvary. And we know why. Because what the devil brought into this world was sin and death. What did the cross do in terms of liberation? It provided a forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. The physical death we experience and the spiritual death that's a, um, that people can experience has been defeated through what the death and resurrection of Christ. That is why his last words before he died were, it is finished. What's finished? The, the effects of sin and death and the devil's victory, supposed victory over man. Since the devil, though, cannot change his destiny, nor his defeat, he has to resort to a different tactic within the church. So what he does is he hides, deceives, and blinds the eyes of Christian people to the reality of what Christ did on the cross, what that accomplished for us, and especially what it accomplished in us. So that we no longer, because of our blindness, walk in the provisions, the benefits, and victory that Jesus secured for us. The devil knows if you try to come against him with any other means, outside of the merits of Jesus, you will lose the walk in the Christian life. If you come against him, though, with all the benefits of what he accomplished on the cross for us, we can walk victoriously. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at one area in which the cross secured victory for us. An area in which we were delivered. And that is from the law of Moses. Now, I say the law of Moses and not the law specifically because we are as Christians to obey the civil laws. We're to obey the civil laws. That is our mandate as Christian believers. So when I refer to the law this morning, don't think of the laws of the land, but think of the law of Moses. Now, you might say, why would you talk about this? That doesn't seem relevant to us. We're not living in like the days of Moses and the law back at 2,000 years ago. Well, it is extremely significant. If you are new to Christianity or you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that you have encountered people in the Christian faith who will teach that it's important to observe certain aspects of the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. Raise your hand and actually in here if you know people who have believed that you have to observe parts of the laws of Moses to be a Christian. Okay, almost all of you, and most of you who put, kept them down are probably just shy. If you haven't encountered that, you will. You have to eat this way, right? 
you have to observe this feast over here if you want to be righteous before God. It's hit our Christian community in Genesis House over the past 10 years and seems to come in waves. Nothing for six months and all of a sudden, boom, like one or two families are encountered with this and next thing you know, it's off to the races with biblical explanations. In the last uh, six weeks or so, I've had at least two or three conversations over this issue that's faced our church right now. People, not in our church, but outside our church, who have been telling people they need to observe the law of Moses to be right with God. It's a contemporary issue. But what I'm going to do this morning is extend it beyond the law of Moses, principally speaking, to see how it still applies today. Where we're going to learn all of our answers from in terms of is this a biblical teaching or not is the letter of Galatians. They were a church who fell into this trap. The Galatians lived in what's modern day Turkey and they were a church community that were founded by Paul and you can read about that in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14. But what's important about this community, community is they started off well. They heard Paul come in and his counterparts and they heard the gospel message and they heard it by faith or they heard it by you know with their ears they made a mental decision to follow Christ and by faith became genuine Christians and it's important we define them in this way if you look in um, verse uh, 2 of what we read this morning he says that they were ones who received the spirit right when he asks the question which was a rhetorical one he says, when you received the Spirit, did you do it by hearing or by works of the law? So they were believers who had received the Spirit. In verse 5, they also experienced other aspects of the Holy Spirit's presence because they experienced miracles amongst their church. And I love that. They got to experience the supernatural presence of God working amongst them. So here was a Bible-believing, gospel-responding Holy Spirit encountering, miracle uh, working church who had a problem. And the problem is found right in these verses. They had believed that it was through not only salvation in Jesus, but by adopting Mosaic law practices that you were right with the Lord. Chapter 1 is a really defining uh, moment for them because when Paul begins his letter in verse 6, he says this about them in response to this kind of belief. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says this, you think that's a gospel to observe the law as being righteous with God? That's a different gospel. That's not the gospel. What the Galatians had done is believed in a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus. Yes, it's about faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, but it's also about circumcision, which is chapter 5, and observing Jewish feasts and festivals and all the food laws that would have gone around that in chapter 4. These are the things that are highlighted in this letter. The result of all this, Genesis House, was that the Galatian church received the harshest rebuke of any church recorded in the New Testament. 
Turn with me to chapter 5 and verse 4. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Chapter 3 and verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now this word bewitched is important. The word means in the Greek language to be, have a, a spell casted over you. As a result of the spell, to be deluded and deceived. Well, we know from Scripture and in just regular life that when th those who cast spells or those that that activity belongs to are people like witches, mediums, psychics. That's the devil's realm. That's the demonic activity. Derek Prince makes this comment. He says, witchcraft... Witchcraft is the primary word for the spiritual forces released from Satan's kingdom into the earth. And he's saying to the church there, you are in this type of thinking operating in the devil's realm. It's as if, a, well not it's as if, it is a spell has pretty much been cast on you causing you to think this way. Now, when Paul said this too, let's be clear, I don't think he was saying that he believed a literal sorcerer came into the congregation and did an incantation of any kind. But what he was saying was that the complete turnaround in their thinking could only be explained by an evil spiritual influence. Someone could say, well, how did this happen? Well, we've already learned in the literal sense this happened because they adopted a Jesus plus gospel. They believed that following the law of Moses was necessary on top of obey, uh, believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. But in light of the intro, we could say it another way. What happened? These Bible-believing, spirit-filled, miracle-witnessing Christians lost sight of the victory of the cross. They were blinded to the realities of what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ fully accomplished in their lives. Now this is worth taking note of. Paul's pattern in his letters, in his introductions, is to give thanks for churches. So we came through Thessalonians. You may not remember this, but when I say this, it'll jog your memory. Chapter 1 and verse 2 of Thessalonia, Thessalonians, he said, We give thanks to God always for all of you. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Even in Corinth, chapter 1 verse 4, he gives thanks. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. A church with divisions, factions, prostitution, idolatry, and so on. But in the writing to the Galatians, 
He never gives thanks for them. I'm not trying to go beyond the text. I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, if you will. But I wonder, and maybe some of you are more convinced, but I just wonder if the reason why is because of this Jesus plus outlook on Christianity. This idea that salvation was accomplished outside of the finished work of Christ disturbed Paul more than high-handed open sin. In personal reflection, as I thought about this, I was thinking, isn't it interesting? High-handed open sin, and when Jesus dealt with people, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, how did he deal with them? With an offer of forgiveness, mercy, compassion. Legalists, people that were all about the traditions of men and the laws of Moses, how did he deal with people like that? Absolute, straight to the point, hard rebukes. He even called them in John chapter 8, or is it John chapter 10? It's one of the two. You are children of the devil. Just some thoughts. Is it possible that the reason for the lack of thanks was because that legalism, this idea that you could be justified apart from the finished work of the cross, of the cross disturbed Paul, Paul more than high-handed open sin? Just to make this a bit more contemporary, because this idea of adopting the law in Christian practice still happens today, I think we can extend the principle beyond just the works of the Mosaic law. You'll notice in verse 3 that he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, he, perfected by the flesh in that context is sort of parallel to works of the law. That's what he's referring to in that whole section. But I would suggest that any works of the flesh is trying to be perfected in terms of any um, regulations or practices that, set, that, are, that you sort of follow to make yourself justified or to set some kind of righteous standard before God. We would call this legalism. Now, I know legalism is not a word found in Scripture, but it's one we often use in the church context. So legalism is this. It's attempting to achieve any righteousness with God by observing any systems or set of rules. Works of the flesh or legalism, it's when you attempt to achieve righteousness with God by observing any system of rules or, or regulations. You can do that on an individual basis, not just the law of Moses, but within the Catholic, Baptist, you know, uh, Pentecostal, even Methodist movements, you can have a whole bunch of things that are part of that system that make you feel that righteousness comes through observing those sets of rules and regulations. And if you don't, you're a disappointment to God, and it kind of undoes the work the cross did for you. Paul says to you and I, as soon as you and I go into legalistic territory, you've been bewitched 
You are in devil's territory. It's dangerous grounds. Well, how do we fall for it? Well, because legalistic talk often sounds super spiritual. It sounds impressive, like, wow, you live such a holy life. You live a life very different than me. I spend a lot of my time in sort of a, these frivolous areas, but you are fully dedicating and consecrating yourselves to the things of God. <laughs> they make you think in their language that through their regulations that you become close to God. And they're appealing because of those ways. Just, this is me making up, making up stuff, but you know, you should only eat vegan. Because, you know, when God first created man in the Garden of Eden, there were no animals there to be eaten, only nuts and plants and fruits. To return to really what God intended for man, we need to go vegan. That's the pathway to holiness. You know, you need to share the gospel at least three times a month. Because if you don't, you're not really truly a Christian. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all been there, all done that type of thing, including your pastor. <laughs> so when we say we're a church of grace, it's like sometimes. <laughs> but may this message transform us if there's any legalistic tendencies in us right now. But what's really powerful, I think, was this observation in verse 3. Well, I didn't write it. It's just it's, it's, it's what Paul wrote. Are you, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He contrasts the flesh to the spirit in here over and over in these three verses. Now, what's the difference between the two? The flesh is human effort. The spirit is about the supernatural presence and power of God. Flesh or legalism is about what man is up to. Spirit is about what God is up to. Flesh is what man can accomplish on his own. Spirit is about what God accomplishes. Flesh is about outward performance. Spirit is about inward change. Flesh is about external rituals, religious substitutes. Spirit is about love and God's supernatural power. So, moving forward, I'm going to talk to you now about six reasons why the law never saved us, saved you, and why it's all about faith and grace in Christ. Now, I spent a lot of time swinging my bat in the, in the warm-up area before I got up to the home plate pitch here, but... I just want to mention one this, this morning. 
one reason why, according to these verses alone, the law does not save, nor does it have to be obeyed as a follower of Jesus. It's about faith in him and what he accomplished, victory and deliverance from the law through the cross of Christ. And the, the, and the, the lesson is simply this. We can throw it up there on the screen. What does Paul teach us? First thing out of six reasons, five next week, one today, the law is not the means by which we receive the Holy Spirit. The law never brings to you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul appeals to their conversion experience on more than one occasion in verses 2 through 5. And I want you to circle, if you take notes, circle the Holy Spirit in these verses. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Verse 5, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of law or by hearing with faith? He appeals to their conversion experience. And he says, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive, I'm going to be graphic here, okay? Because in the Galatians, like many New Testament churches, really loved the idea of circumcision to be right with God. So you're 25 years old, you become a Christian, and you're a male, and you're Gentile, and it's like, and the people who are legalists are in that church, and they're like, and they're Jewish, predominantly Jewish, they're like, okay, it's time for the ritual. So you're 25 years old, and you get circumcised. Does the Holy Spirit come upon you at that moment, according to Paul? Holy something else comes to mind, not Holy Spirit, in that moment when you're 25 years old, let me tell you. Okay? Not in my notes, by the way, but anyway. But, uh, so, yeah, but I mean, that's what's really going on. When you eat vegan and you avoid certain foods, does the Holy Spirit come on you upon that moment, according to Paul? Of course not. When did the Holy Spirit, when was it given to you? Did you have to be a law observer to receive the Holy Spirit, yes or no? And the answer is no. He says, you received it by hearing with faith. The Holy Spirit came upon you when Paul came into town, preached the gospel, you're listening, you're convicted, you're like, oh my goodness, that's me he's talking to. I'm the one that needs forgiveness. I'm the one that needs reconciliation to God. And I respond in repentance and confession to what the Lord has done. That is how you receive the Holy Spirit, apart from the law. And that is a powerful, powerful beginning argument. Observing the law never resulted in the Galatians' own conversion experience. So that's why he can say now, are you so foolish, verse 1, are you so foolish? Verse 3. Are you trying to be perfected by the flesh? Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Actually, chapter 2, verse 15. 
We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to speak to the young people in here, the kids especially, and anyone who's new to Christianity that doesn't understand some of these things. I want to speak to you about the Holy Spirit and what happens to us when we become Christians. I grew up in the church, and I didn't understand. I left the church, and I didn't understand about the, anything about the Holy Spirit and what happens at conversion until I was like 30 years old. I don't want you kids to grow up in this church and leave here not understanding what happens at salvation with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you need to understand these things. And I want you to understand these things. So please, if you've ignored me for 30 minutes, give me five minutes of your time right now. And I know some people are shy. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but um, you're not going to do anything weird either up here when I ask you to come up. It's, all you have to do is hold something for me. So maybe, could I have the three Remples come up? Jared, Aaliyah, and Adeline. So I'm not going to ask you to speak. You're not going to uh, do any dancing. <laughs> Unless you want to. But, uh. Okay, I'm going to show, just demonstrate what happens at conversion and how God works supernaturally in a person's life, okay, with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> okay. So, not to be conceited, but I'm going to be God. <laughs> Next week's sermon's on pride. Okay? Adeline, you can represent mankind, like uh, people from, of all ages, ethnic identities, genders, and stuff. And you are just going to represent uh, sin for me right now in terms of separation, okay? So you can hold this blanket in one hand and then uh, uh, Aaliyah in the other. So make it, pull it out like a flag. Okay. So you guys can just back up a tiny bit. Here's the spiritual realities. Adam and Eve come into the world. There is perfect harmony and perfect communication between me and humanity. God and, uh, God and humanity are, are one. There's no brokenness, no sin, no death, no brokenness. Okay? Mankind sins. Mankind sins and creates a separation relationally from us. So you guys can stand between me and Adeline. There is now a broken relationship. Yep, you can stand over there. Yeah, that works for me. Because I'm God and see, that's mankind. Yeah. Broken relationship. I have, I'm in trouble now. I can't access, or sorry, she can't access me because of sin. And everyone who's honest with one another knows that everyone's got sin in their life. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all sought to be independent of the Lord and so on. The problem is, God, God, I love humanity. And you can't be saved, according to Galatians, by the works of the flesh. She can do all she wants to try to come and be near to me, but she never can. She can get, she can, um, as, as, um, she can you know, eat vegan. She can go to the feasts and festivals, but she's never going to break sin because she's also stolen She's also told lies as she's going to the feasts and eating vegan. 
So there's too much sin between us. There's no relationship. But I love her, and I love humankind. So I have to do something to bridge this gap. And so I send Jesus Christ to earth on the cross to die for sin. The, the sin and death has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Christ. So, someone comes into town and preaches the gospel and says, you cannot save yourself. You can't be perfected by the flesh. There's no rituals or set of man-made rules that make this relationship restored. So I'm going to do something. I've sent him. Do you believe? Do you just simply believe the message that I've told you that you need to be forgiven? It's through my son that forgiveness comes. And Adeline, as mankind says, I believe. So you can remove the veil. Now, relationship restored, and it is by faith. If I'm a Galatian Christian, and someone comes into the church and says, by the way, this relationship's not good enough because of what Christ did. What you also need to do now is get circumcised, follow all the feasts, all the festivals, all the, the religious practices of the Free Methodist Church in Canada. Right? Yeah. 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 The bishop has access to these... these uh, these sermons, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? But what are the individual ones in your own life? The ones that you do that you think God owes you for something because you did them. Or God doesn't like you because you failed to do them. What are the religious practices? And this is what God's dealing with. It's the sufficiency of the, of the cross in and of itself. Out of that relation, out of that, I now do works of faith, but those are, I do it because I love the Lord. They're relational obligations to Him. They're not me trying to earn favor with Him. I'm going to talk about works of faith versus works of the law next week. Do not ask me any questions about that in the dialogue because I'm going to say, come here next week. We're going to finish with that after I give you five other reasons why it's faith and not the law. So I say this to, this is on two levels in this sermon. Thank you for helping me out. This is on two levels in this sermon then. When you're dealing with people that believe in the Christian community, you have to observe the law of Moses. Just ask them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by faith in Christ alone? You might think it's a simple question, but Paul started there with the Galatian church. And he's the apostle who was trained by Christ alone. Okay, now, I want to clear up one misconception. Does this mean it's that you can never observe feasts and festivals or eat vegan because <laughs> you think it's the holy way of life or whatever? The answer is no. It's not never right to observe the things if you, of the law. If you want to participate in feasts as an expression of your relationship to God, you can. If you want your child to be circumcised, you can. But do not make it a means of justification and righteousness for anyone else. If you want to express your faith to God in those ways, you can. But do not make it a means for everyone else to follow and then say your righteousness and holiness is attached to it. 
If that's the way you want to love the Lord in terms of a response to him, fine. But don't make it a set of rules for other people. And Paul teaches on that. And I didn't write it down. I think it's in Corinthians. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. You can correct me if I'm wrong. He says, I become a Jew to Jews, and I become a Gentile to Gentiles to win them. Paul would observe Jewish law if it meant bridging a gap to Jewish people. When he was in Gentile company, he ditched the laws of the Jews for the sake of the Gentile people. It's always about love to dictate your actions as a Christian. So what are the lessons we can learn? We're going to run through four lessons this morning. Number one. Um, oh yeah, I should have mentioned that. I'll just skip it. I'm just going to go with the Holy Spirit here. <laughs> the cross of Christ is the basis of God's total provision for every believer. If I have not, not made that clear this morning enough, I failed as a pastor. But the cross of Christ is the basis of God's total provision for every believer, both in this lifetime and in the next. Second lesson, the cross of Christ is the basis for Jesus' total defeat of Satan. It is finished, this is his cry on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's awesome, Paul talks about the resurrection of the body when we all come to know, when, we, when he comes back to get us, and he says, the last enemy to be defeated will be death. When you and I receive our resurrected bodies, whether we're alive or dead at the time of the resurrection, it's the last enemy to defeat it is death. That's exactly what Satan brought in. Because when in the garden, when he says, God said, if you eat this, you will die. And Satan said, you will not die if you eat this. And death was the result of sin. The last enemy is death. The cross of Christ is defeated. Everything Satan come to do. Number three. Christians are not required, therefore, to observe the law of Moses or any other form of legalism in order to maintain or attain righteousness with God. Remember how we first received the Holy Spirit. It was by faith and not through legalistic or Mosaic law efforts. And finally, one who adheres to these doctrinal beliefs that has, has lost sight of the cross they have been bewitched, to use Paul's language, and is severely warned in the scriptures. The severe warnings in chapter 5. You have been severed from Christ, you who seek to be justified by the law. Amen.